Welcome to ISA's Arborviews podcast, a series bringing you conversations with researchers and tree care experts about current issues in arboriculture. I'm Bob Polumsky, your host on this episode of Arborviews. Nicholas Donkers is a certified arborist, tree risk assessor, and he also works for Out on a Limb in Seattle, Washington. And by the way, Nicholas is also a competitive climber as well. And I invited Nicholas to come to Arborviews today because of his expertise in managing and pruning large evergreens throughout the Pacific Northwest. So thank you so much, Nicholas, for joining us today on Arborviews. No, thank you very much. Well, Nicholas, uh, I do want you to talk a little bit about your history. How in the world did you get involved in climbing up these large conifers and managing these these trees? Give us a little bit of your history before we get into some really interesting questions about how you prune these trees. Absolutely. Well, being 33 years old, I grew up in Monroe, Washington, which is about an hour northeast of Seattle and foothills of the Cascades. And from watching both uh, tall mountains and tall trees out my bedroom window and spending a lot of time outside, I developed a real love of uh, hiking and climbing mostly rocks and mountains, and the occasional tree, uh, occasional tree house was built. And then um, with the skills that we learned um, from, from mountaineering, and mostly a uh, knowledge of rope work and safety and uh, how not to, to hurt ourselves, we uh, just happened into tree work because there was a demand there and had some older arborist friends who took us under their, his wing and gave us a little how-to on, you know, old-school climbing and, <laughs> and tree work. And we since uh, just connected in with the, you know, the latest, greatest tech tools and techniques to to, uh, to do our job. Well, coming from the southeast, uh, I realize that you folks here in the Pacific Northwest have some really magnificent evergreens. We're talking about the area throughout uh, Alaska, British Columbia, Idaho, Montana, area that you work yeah. in. And what I do understand is that being these large evergreen trees, they do require management practices. And I just wondered if you might be able to just explain to our listeners of Arborview some step-by-step management approaches for dealing with these large conifers. Absolutely. Well, one thing from our time up in the mountains, you can see from from the Cascade Crest looking out over the western Washington how much these large trees have been cut down. So about within the last 100 years, most old growth in and around the urban and suburban areas is now basically juvenile trees. And our, our biggest, largest tree we deal with is the, the Douglas fir tree, which is actually the pseudo-hemlock uh, species that easily can get 100 to 150 feet tall within its first 100 years of, of life. Uh, that, compared to an old tree, would be more in the 300-plus feet tall with 15-plus foot diameter first branches at 80 feet. So they're we're talking teenagers that we deal with on a daily basis. And and one of the things that I run into uh, as an arborist is, is homeowners who have concern about their large trees when in, when in turn they are quite young and, and relatively small. So our the question that I raised in my presentation was, you know, how do we manage these trees for a 200, 300, 400 year life cycle? I mean, how could you grow an old growth tree in an urban environment? And the best answer I could come up with was, you know, taking care of the tree's roots and growing area and then pruning it accordingly to, to its new environment. So uh, the the step-by-step process that I wrote down really was nothing new and revolutionary. It's just a, a simple articulation of what I do in my, my mind. So it's as simple as, you know, identifying the, the tree species, observing all of its environment, doing a risk assessment on the tree and surrounding trees, 
and then just deciding what what you're going to do to mitigate it, whether it's to restore the root zone, whether it's to prune the tree, whether it's to remove it, whether it's to replant it, and then have a decision, do it, and then review that process when you're you're done and set and set a maintenance schedule and a review schedule. So again, it's nothing revolutionary, but but it's trying to specify just for for what is ideal with these these trees. Um, one of the one of the problems we have is that when development is occurring uh, in and around a large evergreen tree, that you you lose the other trees that basically limit its lateral spread. So you have branches that'll just keep growing out into space, and generally that's over a house, over a road, um, over over everything there, uh, that nothing's going to stop it other than an arborist with a, with a good pole saw or pole pruner. So that's, that's where we come in. Well, it's interesting, Nicholas, as, as I speak to you, I mean, you speak very coolly, very, very knowledgeably about this, but also realizing too, that, that you're up there in this tree, 80, hundred feet off the ground, mm-hmm. making also these decisions that apparently you made on the ground, but also you're doing the work up in the tree itself. Yeah. And I also like the fact too, that you are a real fan of research mm-hmm. and it's kind of interesting as well, how you do employ these research-based techniques and employ them in your, your, uh, restoration pruning uh, in your involvement in removal of these trees as well. If you could talk a little bit about that, how you unite the re- research with the application. Sure. Well, we've been really fortunate in the Northwest uh, chapter of the ISA where at our at our conferences, we've we've had some of the experts on wind research, having Ken James, having Ed Gilman come to to talk and to lecture and, you know, with high-speed video of, of trees and wind with research because um, one of the big myths we have, you know, that first there was topping, which is more or less been weeded out from a practice in the northwest and then there's a wind sailing which a lot of times is interpreted as to cut out all the interior branches of a tree and the allow the wind to blow through the tree and otherwise known as lion's tail exactly exactly yeah. and, it, and and some customers want it some arborists or tree pruners appear to do it uh the research shows that it's it's the wind going around the tree versus through it and that there's a lot of uh, dampening effects that happen when branches are able to bump into each other um, in various uh, various wind levels, and so the the principle we're working on is by controlling the length of the limb, you you establish or you retain the strength of the attachment to the trunk, and you're decreasing the forces on the end. So if you're nipping six feet of length off of a twenty foot twenty five foot long branch, that outer six feet are the is the most recent growth. It's the most has the most force in a in less wind and by by nipping that off you know you're you're trimming it back to a a good lateral uh lateral sort of a subordinate branchlet uh you're retaining the the branch function you're retaining all the branches around it and then in, in turn you have a tree that's basically a, a large christmas tree at that point you're just shearing the longest branches just like you would on the christmas tree farm just on a much larger scale. Well, Nicholas, to put you out on a limb, pun yes, intended. Exactly. When I'm when I uh, think about some of uh, Ed Gilman's work and in his uh, latest book on pruning, he talked about when you plant this tree for the next 25 years of its life, you are creating its structure. Yeah. How, now, how would that compare with your experience with these large evergreen conifers in the Pacific Northwest? How much of an interaction does a fellow, fellow like you have to have in creating a tree that we would like to see 100, 200 years, yeah. 300 years down the road? And it's interesting. It seems to me that there isn't really a lot you have to do as the tree is young. Basically, until 
until the branch is big enough where it's going to snap off in a windstorm and then do damage, nothing really has to happen, you know, as long as you're promoting a healthy growing environment. So once the tree gets 75 feet tall or so and the branches are 15 feet long and, and three inches in diameter where they might puncture a roof, that's where maybe we'll start to do some some pruning. So uh, it's really it's it's really setting setting sort of the ideal limit of the tree. So part of part of my talk and then the demonstration was in terms of the rope climbing techniques is how to get up quickly and safely to a comfortable stance where with a pole saw you can basically be cutting back the the, the tips to a point where it's no more than a one inch diameter cut. And the idea is that if you're setting that limit, you know, back from from the from where the tree was, that the tree is going to regrow from that cut and then at some point, that'll be a weakness where in four or five years, and there's a the branch is going to shed from that point. So you're basically introducing little pockets of decay on the exterior of the crown, and as opposed to the trunk, and then you're creating a weakness where the tree it hopefully would become self-pruning in a moderate windstorm, and then in a high windstorm, it would already have shorter, stronger branches that aren't going to shed, and in turn, shorter, less of a wind sail that would might topple the tree in a, in a really big storm. Well, Nicholas, I know we need to uh, finish up this program, but I think it's really important that we do address this idea of yours, this technique called the double system technique. You know, being a competitive climber, being that high off the ground, uh, safety is always a, a major issue. And I know this is frustrating for our listeners, but I do want you to, to at least try to describe this this technique. Sure. Um, well, it's really this the simple principle that uh, when you're tied in twice, you're more than twice as safe. And it's something that I learned with from European ice climbers who always have two thinner ropes when they're when they're climbing. So with an ice axe and crampons on, you're highly likely to at least damage your own rope. So if you have one, then and you cut your rope, you're out of luck. With two ropes, you just always have a backup. And so for me, it's I I use a a false crotch system where I have a basically a a static line that holds a pulley up in the tree from which I run my my climbing line, and uh, I just doubled that up. So I have two basically uh, static lines in the tree, two climbing lines, and it, it's a lot of rope. I also have it set up so that I could be rescued from the ground um, that someone could lower from a, a basal anchor on the tree, and I ascend the rope um, tied to itself as a single line, and then when I get get up to the pulley. I use a unisender and I and I come in come down as a as a double rope system on one rope and then the other one is retained as a single line backup. So again, it's a lot of rope in the tree, but at any point I'm tied in twice. Generally, if I set a good anchor from the ground with a big shot, you're only you're tied in from the minute you leave the ground and you're tied in. You never have to worry about that, and it's only a question of positioning and being comfortable. And, and Nicholas, it's great because there will always be opportunities for us to talk about this, yeah. these experiences. So we want to make sure that you're safe there. And I'm really hoping as well that for those climbers listening to you, that they'll actually be able to see you sure. uh, demonstrate these techniques at uh, other ISA-sponsored events. Now, for more information about what we, what we just discussed today, uh, Nicholas, how can people get more information from you? You know, I'm yet to publish any of this on the website just because it's still a work in progress. I'm still getting feedback from various people. So I'm happy if people um, would be email me it's just uh n w donkers d's and david a n k e r s at gmail.com and i got a list of uh, more people at this conference and i just anybody who has input i'd love to hear about it i, I need to throw it up on tree buzz to get you know to get heckled but uh 
you know, when I have to, when I roll into a competition with 600 feet of climbing rope, it's, I can barely carry it myself. So it's, uh, you know, maybe there's room for improvement. So I'm, well, I'm looking for it. It's just, it's been a real pleasure, a learning experience for me as well to, to hear about folks like you and, and, the, and the good work that you're doing here in the Pacific Northwest. Nicholas, thank you so much for joining us today on Arbor Views. Thank you very much. Well, I was just speaking to Nicholas Donkers. He is a certified arborist tree risk assessor, uh, as well as a competitive climber based in Seattle, Washington.